Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. A wave of reopenings are unleashing opportunities for many people ready to venture outside, and they're looking to go on vacation. Airlines, cruise lines, and vacation rental companies are hoping to benefit. But what opportunities exist for investors also hoping to benefit from this pent-up travel demand? We'll get insights from three Morningstar equity analysts in a bonus episode of Investing Insights. The Market X-Ray podcast looks at investment opportunities and risks that go beyond the market headlines. Let's begin this leg of the trip with equity analyst Burkett Huey, who covers the airline industry. Hi, Burkett. Thanks for coming on. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it's like to be a travel analyst? Yeah, so my name is Burkett Huey. I am the aerospace, defense, uh, and U.S. airlines analyst over at Morningstar. Um, I've been at the company for about four and a half years, and I really like covering travel and uh, air travel in particular because it's tangible and it's kind of fun to look up in the sky and see a you know a Southwest plane going into Chicago O'Hare Airport, which Southwest recently expanded to, and kind of understand the strategy behind that. The second summer of the pandemic is ahead. Can you tell us what kind of financial situations the major airlines are dealing with right now? Yeah, so the pandemic has really had three stages so far. You know, the first was raise as much cash and cut as many costs as possible in the spring and early summer of 2020. The second uh, was conserving cash you know, very gradual increases in demand during late 2020. In 2021, leisure travel, at least domestic leisure travel in the U.S., has expanded significantly with increasing vaccinations, and airlines are really hoping to rebuild their network and profitability. You know, financially, the airlines have really raised debt, mortgaged off valuable assets, and sold equity to survive. Now, the U.S. industry as a whole is left with about $58 billion of additional debt, which is an increase of about 55% relative to 2019. The market capitalization of S&P 500 listed airlines is about $100 billion, so it's quite a bit more debt. Oh, wow. Well, what challenges could they face going forward to become profitable again? Yeah. So I'd say the biggest challenge is going to be matching supply with demand. A plane operating a route is going to have very similar costs, whether the aircraft is totally full or totally empty. So any open seat on an aircraft is essentially money left on the table for an airline. So it's really important to fill up planes. Um, In 2020, airlines flew a lot less and the routes that they ran were nowhere close to full. For domestic routes, load factors or the percent of an aircraft seat sold had been hovering at about 50% for late 2020. And that shot up to about 70% of March in 2021. So this is a big step closer to profitability, uh, but the airlines had load factors in kind of the 80% range pre-pandemic. I think the real question for airlines this summer is how much demand is coming back And where is it going? And if they answer that question right, they'll start to rebuild that 2019 network and start getting back closer to profitability. So 
We have leisure, there's business and international travel. What kind of activity do you expect to see from this trio in the next year or so? Yeah, so leisure travel was by far the fastest to recover. Uh, demand picked up uh, with vaccinations in March. Demand looks set to return to a run rate of 2019 levels uh, later this year. You know, Southwest recently announced that it would be running about 95 percent of 2019 June capacity this year as pent up demand from lockdowns is released. You know, I'm largely expecting travel to recover sharply over the next year, few years to recover to 2019 levels and then to normalize to, you know, about GDP growth. The price of oil is probably going to be a swing factor because airlines pass oil prices onto the consumer and leisure travel is a relatively elastic good. You know, if there's an oil-driven commodities boom, you know, maybe after that growth normalizes to below real GDP. But if Brent oil prices stay in roughly that $55 to $75 sweet spot that it did from, say, 2015 to 2019, uh, which is what Morningstar's mid-cycle oil price implies, I think we can expect to see at least GDP growth over the next cycle. In terms of business travel, that's hovering around 20% of 2019 levels for airlines. Uh, I'd say the big components for the return to business travel are um, you know, returning to the office, the return of large conventions, and what proportion of business travel is substituted by Zoom. And I'm expecting that we'll start seeing business travel pick back up later this year as offices reopen. And you know, international travel as a whole, it was also kind of around 20% of 2019 levels. As more nations roll out vaccinations, we're hoping that we can see international travel corridors pick up. The big three markets for the U.S. are Latin America, Europe, and Asia. You know, Latin American travel has essentially already recovered, and we're still waiting on a corridor to open up uh, to Europe and Asia. Tell us the airlines who are doing the best out of the pack. Yeah, uh, Southwest is probably the one under my coverage. Uh, the company's network is positioned almost entirely towards domestic leisure travel, and that looks set to recover before business travel and international travel. And the company doesn't have quite as much exposure to business travel as the other airlines do. How do our listeners turn this into an investment opportunity? What are the action steps? I'd say that the sector as a whole is fairly valued. I think the market has given airlines a lot of credit for reopening and a post-recovery, uh, you know, travel recovery. The company where I'd say the market has the biggest disagreement with me is Delta, which is trading in three-star territory, but it's kind of close to four-star territory. My target price implies about 15% upside from current levels. Um, but I think there's still a lot of uncertainty left in the sector. So I think investors need to demand a deep discount to um, a company's intrinsic value before you know, taking a position in a company like this. And I don't think that current prices offer that opportunity. Thanks, Burkett, for your insights. You gave us a lot to think about today about the airlines. Thank you. We're going from the skies to the seas. Joining us now is senior equity analyst, Jamie Katz, who covers the cruise industry. Hi, Jamie. I appreciate you coming on Market X-Ray. Can you tell our listeners about yourself and what it's like covering cruise lines? 
Sure. So uh, I've been with Morningstar for about 10 years. I cover a number of different consumer discretionary names. So we look at cruise lines, power sports, boats, toys, things like home improvement. Um, And we get to see a lot of interesting trends across consumer spending spaces. With regards to cruise lines, you know, they've become really fascinating. Um, The liners tend to continue to innovate on both hardware, so thinking about the ships and what they're putting on it, and then the onboard offerings. And that makes ships today really different than those of prior decades. Most interesting is over the last year, we've really got to see how regulatory, legal, health organizations interact with the industry, particularly as the cruise companies have become more eager to restart sailing domestically in recent months. So this full stop across the industry at the beginning of COVID is an event that has never been experienced before by the financial community and by travelers. So as you said, you know, the cruise industry is ready to get back out there and set sail from the U.S., but they're also calling out the CDC over the restrictions they're facing. What are the issues? Yeah, I think it's important to go back to see how far we've actually come. So originally, um, when the no-sale order started in March of 2020, all of the fleets were basically removed from the seas. That moved to a conditional sailing order in the fall of 2020. And that CSO initially sought to move forward utilizing four key steps, testing of crew, simulating voyages, going through a certification process, and then returning to passenger sailings in order to figure out how to best mitigate the spread. And some of those explicit steps were really viewed as onerous. And I think as time has passed now, vaccinations have become more widespread. Cruise companies have shown willingness to have almost all workers and travelers vaccinated. And there's been access to a lot of data from international sailings over the last six months that show that mitigation protocols are working. Um, Since this sample data is out there and exists, it has allowed the CDC to sort of warm up to a full restart in, in recent months. So as we think about what is happened and how this has progressed, there's been a lot of traction probably since March and discussions between the CDC and the cruise industry. So the cruise industry did receive bad press early in the pandemic due to COVID-19 cases aboard multiple ships. What are they doing now to show their ships are safe for guests? So I think when we look at the negative press that surrounded those few ships at the beginning, there were meaningful outbreaks The ships were facing pretty difficult logistic situations. They were unable to determine an appropriate way to disembark, um, given that there were these positive cases on board. And at the origination of COVID, a lot of this had to do with the fear of uncertainty, the situation that a lot of governments didn't know much about the virus, how it spread, how contagious it was, and so on. And so I think a lot of countries were erring on the side of caution and preventing ships with positive cases to port. Now that we look at the restart in sailing, there have been a number of protocols that have been implemented to allow these cruise companies to really see how well their controlled environment fares um, in preventing the spread of COVID-19 cases that might make it on board. So we're looking at things like lower initial ship capacity with the ship sailing less than full, servers at uh, buffet areas to prevent multiple individuals from touching food items, limited attendance at shows or programs on board, mandatory vaccines, uh, quarantine capabilities, COVID tests for workers before interactions with customers, HVAC updates, medical updates, um, and cleaning protocols. So this is really a multifaceted approach 
in ensuring that consumers can travel safely. And I also want to note that these efforts are really above and beyond any efforts implemented by other travel industries. If you look at air, hotel, casinos, you know, those businesses have really stripped their capacity constraints and require no proof of vaccination for their consumers. So the cruise lines are really trying to create a a safe bubble for their passengers. So the CDC eased some restrictions in April saying cruise lines can restart if almost all passenger and crew are vaccinated. What's been the cruise line's response? The cruise lines have been largely in support of vaccinated guests on cruises. Norwegian has uh, was the first one out stating that they would only take guests with vaccinations, making its protocols even more stringent than the CDC is. So looking for 100% crew and guest vaccinations going into initial sailings. So that implies guests age 12 and up, those that have access or the ability to access a vaccine at this point. This was sort of echoed by Carnival, also noting that initial itineraries, those that are included are the Alaska deployments for Princess Holland America and Carnival. Those travelers will also have to have their final dose of an approved COVID-19 vaccine at least 14 days prior to the beginning of the cruise. And they do have to have proof of vaccination. I think when we look at Royal, the rules appear to be uh, modestly less stringent. They're requiring all guests 12 and older to be vaccinated, um, but they are willing to test those under 12 as those passengers do not have access to a vaccine yet to ensure that there's minimal risk of exposure on the ships and then ensure that they're able to get families back on ships. So I think when you look at the three large ship lines together, Norwegian, Carnival, and Royal, um, they're really taking steps to ensure the probability of COVID getting onto the ships at embarkation points are low. So Morningstar raised the company's fair value estimates. However, their valuations are not considered a bargain. Why is that? So when we raised our fair value estimates on Carnival and Royal, we did it in response to the recent momentum we had seen in deployment planning for the upcoming summer season. And originally, while there were some domestic constraints still existing, Carnival and Royal had pivoted to deploy its fleet abroad. Um, And it started to line up summer sailings from the UK, Italy, Greece, Cyprus, and other ports, right? And with Alaska now set to see some ships this summer, we have a date for ships in the U.S. to start sailing, particularly on the West Coast. That said, the cruise lines are facing startup costs that come ahead of revenue sailings, which could really disrupt the profit profile in the near term. We don't really think that consensus is accounting for the likelihood of these higher costs affiliated with COVID-19 protocols, that could really remain intact once the virus subsides. And that could hinder the speed at which profit margins recover. So if you look at how our EBITDA margin improvement grows, it's a little bit better than consensus. So as we look at 2023, which is really the first normal full year of operation with capacity and occupancy levels restored, we should have EBITDA margins in the high 20 to 30% range at Royal Carnival and Norwegian. I think as we look at the cruise lines, though, we would wait for a pullback in share price to be buyers in the space. We do see another way to play the outdoor lifestyle. Ownership in names like Malibu Boats and Polaris are much more attractive at their current trading levels. And like cruise lines, both benefit from things like higher employment and savings rate across the consumer population. And both the boating and power sports industries are facing a healthy backlog of orders, um, and that supports the shipment demand ahead. 
So if we think about having to resort to a reinstitution of social distancing orders at any point, both names benefit from offering socially distant outdoor activities with Malibu trading at more than a 20% discount to our $97 fair value estimate and Polaris at around a 24% discount to our $173 fair value estimate. We think these are better investment opportunities in the consumer discretionary space at this time. Thanks, Jamie, for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having me. Our discussion has taken us from the air to the sea and now to some place to stay. Dan Wasilek is a senior equity analyst and he covers online travel agencies. And we're going to delve into one in particular, Airbnb. Hi, Dan. Thanks for being here. Will you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what it's like keeping up to date on vacation rental companies? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, I've been in equity research for nearly 25 years, with the most recent six being here at Morningstar following travel-related companies like Airbnb. Uh, In my view, travel is an exciting and interesting area to cover since many can personally relate to it. And since the industry is one that historically grows above GDP, making a dynamic market to cover, and that certainly has been the case the past year with the pandemic. Dan, Airbnb recently released earnings. Some good news came from that. What did the company report? Right, yes. So since the pandemic outbreak, Airbnb's vacation rental listing demand has experienced relative outperformance to traditional hotels and air travel within the industry. The driver of this performance has been the high amount of remote working, which has provided flexibility to travel while working, and the pandemic preference for local road travel to accommodations and destinations where social distancing is easier, which benefits full-size homes and other alternative accommodations that Airbnb offers. That strength continued in Airbnb's first quarter with its bookings surpassing pre-pandemic levels. This stood well above peers Expedia and Booking Holdings, where their bookings returned to about half of their 2019 levels. As those companies have more hotel exposure, where social distancing is tougher to achieve than staying at a home, condo, or treehouse, et cetera, that you can find on Airbnb. In addition to strong demand, Airbnb is also making strides to improve upon its cost structure, which was run inefficiently as a private company. And here we continue to think the company can ramp to a mid-20% operating margin in several years from the negative 10% it reported in 2019. Where does Airbnb's edge lay against rivals like Booking and Expedia? Well, Airbnb has become a verb and a noun in our society, right? So Airbnb is the leader in the 150 billion vacation rental booking market, where we estimate it has nearly twice the booking share of number two player booking holdings and around three times the share of the number three player Verbo, which is owned by Expedia. Its edge in this market is driven by its nearly 6 million listings, the vast majority being individual owners, which are much harder to aggregate on a platform than larger professionally managed properties that are more often found on a platform like Booking.com. This unique supply in turn helps drive strong global awareness and bookings. So Airbnb is a top 10 travel app in about 90 countries and a high amount of their visitors come direct to the app, which cuts down on the amount of marketing it needs to do to acquire customers. The company's booking rates surpass pre-pandemic levels. Can Airbnb sustain this? Uh, That's a good question. I think 
our view is that the actual night rates that sustainability is unlikely to continue for, you know, a period of time. Um, Airbnb's first quarter average nightly rates, I think there were about 130% of 2019 levels, and they were up maybe around 30% from last year to $160 a night. But the vast majority of this increase was due to a higher mix of U.S. and larger size accommodations, which we believe is a temporary phenomenon. As global vaccination rates improve, we expect the travel recovery to continue to broaden to other geographies and types of accommodations like hotels, something we've already seen in places like Las Vegas, where weekend hotel rooms are already booked out through this summer. So it is important to realize that a driver of Airbnb's recent overall booking strength is this higher rate, which we think is likely to wane somewhat by the next several quarters. Morningstar rates Airbnb's fair value estimate, but not near its trading value. Why is that? Yeah, so we did recently raise our Airbnb fair value estimate to $84 per share from $75. And that was really driven by the stronger demand recovery this year that we just talked about a moment ago. And this fair value estimate remains well below the current share price. Um, And the current share price is down about 35% since mid-March versus, I think, around a mid-single-digit increase for the S&P 500 during that time. Um, And, you know, we we forecast a lot of positive growth for Airbnb. So, for example, we expect Airbnb's revenue growth to average 23% annually over the next 10 years and for their operating margins to expand to 25% by 2028 from a negative 10% in 2019. Um, So our expectation is that Airbnb financially is going to perform extremely well. But in our view, at the current share price, investors are pricing in too much exuberance for long-term revenue growth and operating margin expansion. So is there an investment opportunity right now? In Airbnb specifically, you know, it's a great company, but as far as an investment opportunity, we still do think it's overvalued. It's one to keep on your radar if shares were to continue to pull back. Um, You know, right now, most travel companies are in the overvalued camp as they do appear to be pricing a stronger global recovery. Um, One exception in our view would be Sabre, which is ticker S-A-B-R. It does trade at a discount to our $17.10 per share valuation. Um, And Sabre is more exposed to corporate air travel, and that is going to recover later uh, in the demand cycle um, than alternative accommodations. And so Sabre's share price probably is going to remain pretty volatile and require some patience. But, you know, outside of Sabre, again, we keep an eye out for further share price corrections in companies that have strong competitive advantages. And, you know, that would include Airbnb, Booking Holdings, Expedia, and then on the hotel side, Hilton and Marriott. Thanks, Dan, for the deep dive. No, thanks again for having me. There you have it. We've flown, sailed, and didn't overstay our welcome at the host home. Thanks for listening to Morningstar's Market X-Ray podcast, where we look at investment opportunities and risks that go beyond the market headlines. I'm Ivana Hampton, a Senior Engagement Editor at Morningstar. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. 
The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.